Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to be speaking about a plaintiff who brings an application in court against various defendants. And what happens is those defendants make an application that that plaintiff should have to pay security for costs in respect of that application. Now, just before we dive in, let's refresh our memory and speak a little bit loosely, but just get our heads in the game as to what security for costs is, broadly, conceptually. Um, essentially, what we're talking about when we're talking about an application like this is when a defendant or someone who's being sued says to the court, hey, don't let this plaintiff, don't let the person who is suing me go ahead and sue me because they might not have enough money to pay my legal costs if they end up losing. And so what the court ought to do, my application to the court is that that person should have to pay some money into court in order to enable them to continue with their claim. Right, you're too poor to sue me, you gotta put the money down first because if you don't do it first and I win, then maybe you won't have enough money to pay my legal costs. It'll make sense as we progress, I promise. And so today, we have a plaintiff, and we have a number of defendants, as I've said. And this is a relationship that obviously turns bad because litigation gets involved, but it begins as a collaboration in relation to development work. And speaking broadly, the plaintiff might be thought of as a builder, and the defendants might be thought of as various developers who are controlled by one controlling mind. So they're a group together developing various different properties, and the plaintiff is a builder who provides building work to these various entities in respect of these various projects. Now, what happens is um, the relationship progresses and at the start it progresses well between the builder and the controlling mind of all these developers. And what happens is that uh, one of the defendants, one of these developer companies becomes a 50% shareholder in the plaintiff and there is a shareholder's deed entered into that uh, is designed to, broadly speaking, uh, ensure that work is sent preferentially to the plaintiff, certain building work, and to ensure that the plaintiff is able to charge an 8% margin on the costs of any construction. So a cost plus arrangement where that plus is 8%. Now, what happens is things continue and after a little bit of time, the plaintiff and the controlling mind of the defendants incorporate a new company, Newco, uh, and they also incorporate an even newer company, Newer Co. And the relationships between these various companies on the development side that have similar names and our plaintiff and these various new building companies and which locations they are and who's doing work for which start to become a little bit complicated, a little bit complex. And what is suggested uh, and what is sort of an available inference that might arise is there might be issues to do with things like novation, questions about, well, who are these contracts really between? What are the terms of them? Have they been amended? But remember what our plaintiff says is there's this shareholder's deed and we get 8% margin on our costs. Now, um, things go okay for a time, but eventually the relationship sours between the plaintiff and the various defendants. And what happens at around that time is the plaintiff issues a demand. And that demand is for about $4 million. And the nature of that $4 million demand is the plaintiff saying, hey, this is my calculation of 8% on all the work I, the plaintiff, did 
in respect of all these entities, all these developments over here. Now there's a bit of complexity over here because this demand, as we'll get to in a moment, related to work that arguably might not have been done by the plaintiff themselves. It might have been done by Newco, you know, that new company that we incorporated together. It might have been done by Newerco, another of the new companies that was incorporated, or it might have been done by an, an entity related to the plaintiff. So there's a challenge. But in essence, the plaintiff says $4 million, sends off uh, a SOPA claim as well. It's a Security of Payments Act, that piece of legislation we sometimes talk about from time to time. Um, and we have our piece of litigation. And what we have, firstly, what we're talking about today is the defendants seeking security for their costs from the plaintiff. Now, the plaintiff resists this application, says, no, 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 I don't want to pay security. I shouldn't have to pay security makes a number of arguments in support of this. Now, firstly, it says, I shouldn't have to pay security because my claim is very strong. And what's a little complex about this is the court has to grapple with the suggestion the plaintiff makes, that is saying, my claim is very strong because the court is eventually gonna make credit findings. It's gonna make a finding about the poor credibility of the controlling mind of the defendant. The court is gonna say, oh, we've got backdated contracts, We've got some fuzzy relationships between these different um, defendant companies and there's going to be complexity here. And so the plaintiff says, because of all these credit findings that are going to be made, we have a really strong claim. And what the court says is, no, uh, uh, they don't agree. Uh, the court does not agree with that submission. And the basis for the court not agreeing is to say, look, even if these credit findings are made in the form you think, even if we form the view that, oh, this person is a liar or is deceptive or fraudulent or whatever um, might be alleged eventually, well, that actually doesn't get to the heart. That's really peripheral to your central claim because your central claim is about the contractual arrangement. Your central claim is to say, hey, we get an 8% margin on this building work. It isn't, oh, people were very honest in relation to emails sent regarding various developments. And so the court says, look, it's really this sort of complex, complicated contractual arrangement you're suing on it's not the was someone a liar or did they send inappropriate emails or not. And so the court says the prospects don't appear particularly strong from that perspective. The court then considers the financial position of the plaintiff. And the plaintiff says, hey, look, we're in a strong enough financial position. Sure, we might be a little over a million underwater at the moment, but we've got this claim for four million that's really strong, as we've just said. And so once that claim is paid, wacko, um, we are off to the races and in any case, that loss was caused by the defendants themselves. And that argument doesn't necessarily convince the court either. Um, there's another element that the court has to grapple with in relation to the security for costs application. And that is the question that the plaintiff had to face. The plaintiff in resisting an application for security for costs has to convince the court to say, hey, there's no other rich person standing back here who could provide security right, to say, look, there's no one else around the place who's gonna be able to do this. And so the plaintiff puts on some evidence, but the court finds, frankly, not enough. And in particular finds that we don't know enough about beneficiaries of a certain trust relationship that um, arises in respect of a related entity. And we're back. Sorry for interrupting the recording there. Uh, it was someone else's child yelling out, dad, dad, dad. Um, so <laughs> we were speaking about 
the fact that the plaintiff was unable to convince the court um, that there was no one else who could potentially provide security. The plaintiff doesn't get that evidence on, particularly doesn't get that evidence on in a way that deals with the status of some beneficiaries of a related trust. And so the court says, well, so sorry plaintiff, but we are gonna order that you have to pay security for the costs of the defendants. And the order the court ends up making is that the plaintiff is to pay $250,000 uh, in order for the proceedings to continue, having found that such an order would not stifle the proceedings. So the plaintiffs get up, and that means they also get their costs of that security for costs application as well. I hope that discussion interrupted a bit there with apology, assisted you, and I look forward to speaking again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.